Well, Father, we bow our heads and our hearts now before you. We're thankful for this routine in our week where on the first day we gather and we remember the resurrected Christ and we sing hymns about him and we fellowship together and we pray together and we open our Bibles and, and we seek to understand at a greater level who you are and what your expectations are for us. Thank you, Father, for the joy that it brings and the encouragement that it brings to gather. Thank you for the privilege of gathering in peace and safety in such a comfortable location. Father, may we be careful not to take these times for granted. May your spirit work now among us because it is our prayer, Lord, that every day and every hour we would live for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word, even as we've reflected that you hold us in the palm of your hand. Thank you for the riches of the salvation that we have in Christ. And, and now, Lord, may we grow in our understanding of what it means to live for Jesus every day. We commit ourselves now, Lord, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I couldn't help but notice as I clicked onto my computer, as I referenced we've been away on vacation and I didn't have internet access and I kept it that way on purpose all week long. So if you didn't get an email response back from me and expecting that this week, that's why. It'll wait till tomorrow. But yesterday evening after arriving home and needing to be organized for this morning, I opened up my computer and was glancing at a few things. And when I connect to the World Wide Web, my computer comes up to the Yahoo homepage and there's the news headlines. I couldn't help but notice with this message today on my mind that one of the headlines of the day was a carryover from a few months ago that uh, during the campaign for the presidential election in 2008, that one of those who was running for um, a party's candidate status had to drop out because of a major moral glitch in their framework, which the headlines now are confirming has born a, a child. And I thought, interesting, isn't it, that even in the political spectrum, in the political framework, a leader often can can be castigated or castigated or have a dark shadow brought upon their leadership ability from a failure moment. It reminds me of our series in Genesis. We're working our way through the book of Genesis here on Sunday mornings at Fellowship Bible Church. We've made it to chapter 16, and today we're going to complete a detour that we started two weeks ago today. And so I invite you to turn not to Genesis, but to 2 Peter chapter 1. But think about Genesis with me as you turn to 2 Peter, because we didn't get very far in Genesis when we saw that there was a major leadership failure. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when Adam usurped his authority position and took the lead from Eve and knowingly stepped out of the will of God and knowingly did what he knew he should not do. And as a result, we have what theologians call the fall. Uh, the, the, the moment when sin entered the world and the ramifications, it, it was a tsunami wave, really. It wasn't a ripple effect. It was a huge impact that to this day, even the most precious baby when born is born a sinner. Because why? Because Adam failed to stand with spiritual strength and make a right choice at that moment. He didn't lead spiritually. He followed blindly. 
We read on in Genesis and we have multiple occasion in the life of our key character where we are now in Genesis chapter 16 and the life of, of Abram. And we have there this moment in time when The man of promise, the man through whom God is going to bless the world, the man through whom God says, you will be a blessing to all ages from now on, all people everywhere. And I'm going to give you a people. Out of you will come a nation as many as the stars of the sky. I'm going to give you a land. He gives them the boundaries. But then 10 years later, halfway through chapter 16 in Genesis, if you read it, you realize that in a spiritual slump, evidently, He usurps his spiritual authority of his household. He takes the lead from his wife. And when Sarai says, take Hagar, my maidservant, take her as a wife, go lie down with her, and out of her you can get children. And in a a lapse of faith and in a lapse of spiritual judgment, he enters into a, a moment out of the will of God, a sinful moment. And the ramifications of that moment are ongoing. And it's a tsunami wave, really. It's not just concentric circles of ripple effect. It's a huge impact. And in fact, next Sunday, Lord willing, we will be back in Genesis chapter 16 to talk specifically about this great Arab-Israeli conflict that begins in Genesis chapter 16 and what that's all about and some of the ramifications, even to this day, and uh, how that goes. And it'll help you even in your understanding of the news. It's making the news this week with the saber rattling out of Iran and the trash talking of Israel out of Iran that they will not last long and we'll wipe them out and so forth and so on. All starts right back in Genesis chapter 16. And then bringing the microscope in, it, it, it happened in a moment of time. It happened with a, a decision. And so our challenge that we began two weeks ago, if you weren't here, was to men specifically, it's for all Christians everywhere, uh, to be the person that God wants you to be. But I thought that it would be good for us to take, a, take some time this morning to finish up on the message we began there and talk about the importance of spiritual leadership, particularly for we as men to be the spiritual leaders of our home that God can bless us. And don't you want God's blessing on your life? The challenge, though, is is that we're just frail, weak men, aren't we? And I think that it's kind of common for women to be a little more sensitive. As I said, this message coming from 2 Peter chapter 1 is is for all people. I'm specifically gearing this message to men today. But women, you have to listen in because when Peter is writing here, he's writing to all believers about our sanctification, our growing in the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ, our conforming to the image of Christ. And it's for women too. But as we challenge the men that we would be the men that God would have us be to lead our homes spiritually, to have spiritual integrity, to have a growing character, That our children will stand at our graveside one day and say, that's my daddy and he loved Jesus and he taught me how to love Jesus. He loved my mama and he taught us how to love the word of God. And because of my father, our home has been blessed. Don't you want to be that kind of man? And you can be. And we'll see that in just a minute. And I think though, as I referenced a minute ago, women are a little bit more spiritually sensitive. They're more inclined to want to do right. Once they have a relationship with Christ, they want to grow. And almost all women who are born again and are married to a husband, they want their husband to be a spiritual leader in the home. They want him to take the lead. They want him to to love them like Christ loved the church. It's a little easier for us guys. We're kind of Roll with the flow, we're busy, we're distracted, we've got real important things 
like football to keep track of and, and so forth. And we tend to be sort of slobs a little bit, you know? We can just kind of let things go. And, and women tend to be detail-oriented. They tend to be more sensitive. And they tend to have a sensitivity to some of these things. And so our challenge today, men, is to say, okay, how can I latch on to some practical Christian principles in my Christian life that I will be a growing man of God. It might not happen overnight. In fact, that one of the points of the message this morning is that this is a slow process. The idea is, though, that we will get to a place where we'll be the kind of men that spiritually we reflect the character of Christ to the degree that our wives will look at us with utmost respect. Our children will follow us in obedience and we will not fall in shame and in disgrace. We've looked at the text already this morning. There should be notes on a seat nearby. If you don't have notes and you need them, uh, why don't you hold your hand up and and one of the ushers will find some and get them to you. I think they've done a good job of distributing them. At least every other person I'll be able to look on to a set of notes. I need to cover a lot of material this morning in a short time so that we can get back to Genesis next week. But... um, And so I wanted to use notes for that reason so that you can see where we are and we can click things off quickly. So do pay attention to them. If you want to, especially men, I would encourage you to fill in the blanks that are there and stick this in your Bible so that you can go later on and and review them. Because I know for some of you, it's difficult to open your Bible and say, okay, where do I begin? How do I study God's Word? And I wanted to put together a practical set of notes that you can stick in your Bible and then later on sit down and say, okay, I'm going to look up some of these verses. I'm going to reread them. I'm going to let the Spirit of God teach me through this message today on how to grow as a spiritual leader. The idea of this message and the premise of this message is this too. As I, as I point this message at the hearts of our men here today, and as I'm preaching to myself, it is this. I cannot lead another person spiritually until I lead myself. I cannot grow my family until I am growing. And if I'm going to have the blessing of God, and if I'm going to be the conduit by which God says, I bless this home, it will be because as the head of my home, I say, like Joshua of old, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Having a clue how that looks exactly, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life pursuing it. I'm going to spend the rest of my life claiming the grace of our Lord Jesus to be the man that God wants me to be. And so we jumped into this passage two weeks ago, and um, we noticed a couple things. On your notes, you'll see, we noticed that the power is mine. We know that I cannot say if I'm in Christ, and are you in Christ today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you come to a place of admitting your sinfulness and knowing that you fall short of the glory of God and His expectation? You can't get into heaven on your own good works but only by the grace of God through his love and kindness that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And you've admitted your sinfulness and you've acknowledged Jesus Christ is the one who's taken your place. And by faith, you've received that reality as a gift from God, admitting your sin, believing in Jesus, making him Lord. I hope that that's your testimony today and that you do know Jesus as your savior If that's the case, there's a transformation that's to be going on. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is passing away. All things are becoming new. We are in Christ. That's who Peter is writing to in this passage. 
And this is what you are to do. This is how you are to live. You'll notice in verse 3 where he said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Christ. You cannot say today, if you are a Christian, I can't do this, Pastor Van. I cannot do it. No, in your own strength, you can't. But by Christ who lives in you, you can do it. And the challenge today is for us to admit that I'm responsible for my own spiritual growth. That I've got to take the lead on this thing. And that God is willing to work in me if I'm willing to work with Him. The power is mine. He says, His divine power, verse 3, 2 Peter 1, has given you everything you need. You can do this. Secondly, notice that the promises are real. Verse 4, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's the principle of godliness that we will look at in a few minutes. But the idea is that... I have a spiritual power in Christ. His promises are what will grow me. And the potential is there for me to be a growing Christian the rest of my life. He says that you can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That is for all Christians who are in Christ. That is a, that is a carte blanche promise. That is a reality that is there. The power is mine. The promises are real. The potential is there. So what's the deal? The deal is that the problem is me. Notice the next phrase and where we get this from. Verse 5. For this very reason, do what? Make every effort to add to your faith now. And then he clicks into about seven qualities. The subject of that sentence is what? Is whom? Who's the subject there? Make every effort. It's you, right? I have to make every effort. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I became a Christian, I thought that it was just God and the Holy Spirit in me that just does it all. I just let the Spirit of God work through me. You do. But you have to do something too. Notice what he says. Make every effort. And the problem is, I want an effortless Christianity, don't I? I want to just kind of sit down, let the preacher preach. That was pretty good. That was a good illustration. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. Off we go. Watch the Redskins lose again. Life goes on. I grow as a Christian. Maybe. An effortless Christianity. There is no such thing. You know, a a little illustration that I like to use is is the the idea of having your lawnmower and your can of gas out on the sidewalk, then go sit up on the the front porch in the rocking chair and say, Okay, Lord, uh, I'm sitting here and I got my lawnmower. My lawn needs mowed. Lord, mow my lawn, would you please? You've got to sit there a long time and watch the weeds grow up. You've got to get off your porch and go down there and mow the lawn. But the Lord has done a whole lot of other things to enable you to be able to do that kind of thing. I mean, that's a kind of a rough illustration, but the idea applies to our spirituality as well. You can't just sit there and say, I'm going to be a growing Christian. And Peter affirms this. You have to make every effort. And the problem is that I want to effortless Christianity. And it shows in my life. Click off the bullet points under point number four. Listen, until I take personal responsibility for my spiritual development, it will never happen. That's true. Your wife can't grow you, buddy. You've got to be able and willing to take some steps to let the Spirit of God work in you. Without any effort, there will be very little, if any, development. Oh, you might catch a few things here and there and gradually grow a little bit spiritually. 
But I'm calling us this morning to start efforting our Christianity. Not for works to try to get into heaven. Not for any kind of works for merit that God would um, say, what a special Christian you are. No. Yes, I want to please God with my efforts. But my efforts are so that I can just be the man God wants me to be because of his grace in my life and this great salvation that I've entered into. Spiritually underdeveloped, a spiritually underdeveloped, undisciplined person is a spiritually frustrated and spiritually vulnerable person. Do you notice what Peter says in this passage? He says, if you do these things, for this reason, make every effort, verse 5. And then verse 8, if you do these things and if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, they will keep you from falling. That's Peter talking, not me. That's his promise. If you do these things, who's the subject? I'm the subject. I have to do these things. And so we want to jump into and look. And I want to remind you of something. Look what he says in verse, verses 5 through 8 again there. Letter Roman numeral 5 in our outline is that the process is slow. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't want to beat you up. I want to challenge our men, I want to challenge all of us to be engaged in, a, in, in the growing realities of the joy of my Christianity. Conforming to the image of Christ, knowing the blessing of God because of walking in obedience. Ultimately, as men, I want to be leading myself spiritually so that I can impact and lead my family so that I will never fall. But it's a slow process. Notice what he says. You have to add to your faith. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. The idea there is that there is some progress going on. It is a slow process. Yes, it is a lifelong process. But if you possess, down to verse 8, the end of verse 8, letter B, in the middle of the verse, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Okay, so this is something that I am adding to my life. All right? And it is increasing in my life. There's a process, isn't there? It's ongoing. And so I want to note the fact that spiritual character development of my life, the spiritual character development of my life should be measurable. It should be measurable. It is increasing and it is something that is adding. Now I'll say something to old people here. You define whether you're old or not yourself. You don't get out of this. You never get to a place... On this side of heaven, where you can say, I've done it. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, there it is. You want to see all the layers? I've added them all. Here I am. Exhibit A, the Christian who's attained. That's utter nonsense. For some of you, and you know what I mean, the older you get, sometimes the harder it is, isn't it, to be disciplined in your Christian life? Because you kind of do want to sit back and just kind of relax and live on your reputation. You never stop growing. You never stop adding. Every year, we ought to be able to look back and say, I can measure the results. I can see that I'm growing. You know, you can usually tell when you're around this kind of person, can't you? You can tell when they're growing and they're developing. Bullet point, first bullet point under the process is slow is that my spiritual character development should be measurable and my spiritual Character development is ongoing and lifelong. It is ongoing and lifelong. I can never be careless about this. 
Well, we have here in this passage what I'm calling the Apostle Peter's formula for spiritual development. The Apostle Peter's formula for spiritual development. And I think this is something that we all have to have ears for. I misspelled reinforced, but I kind of like the word enforced there. It's like with a stick or something, you know. Um, Isn't reinforced with an I? Um, I think reinforced. It's like, okay, we're reinforcing it however you spell it. That's the way it is. And what I want to do is I want to reinforce it with the Apostle Paul's instruction from Galatians. Because I want you to see that these character traits that we're going to break down now and take a, a look at, that we want to add to our life layer after layer and add and build these things into our life in a lifelong practice of spiritual development. I want you to realize that this is what Jesus taught. This is what Paul taught. It's what the, the apostles taught. It's, it permeates our whole Bible, our whole New Testament. And so what we're going to do, is just as an example, is I want you to turn right now to Ephesians, and I want you to mark Ephesians. Get, get a piece of paper in there. Get a pen or something in there. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. All right? And mainly chapters 4 and 5. And what I want to do is I want to flip back and forth from 2 Peter chapter 1 to Ephesians, and I want Peter to show us what he's talking about, and I want Paul to just put an exclamation point on it. On the outline, you'll see that I gave a reference for Ephesians under each of these points that Peter is building on, but then there's also two black dots, and on the black dots, that's Pastor Van's attempt to be practical, to give you some suggestions, because I know how guys are. Well, here's how we are. We sit there, the guy's talking, and I'm a little bit, well, uh, what do I do? I don't know what to do with that. And so I'm going to try to help us give a couple ideas that if nothing else, do what I'm saying. All right? But maybe the Spirit of God, who is in you, will be able to, to pull and tug on you and say, you know what, you should do this. you got some ideas, I should do this. I know how to do this. And I should do this, and I should do that. That's what I want this message to do. And I want you to see these layers of spiritual growth coming in your life, developing you spiritually so that you can lead your family spiritually. So Peter's going to teach it. Paul's going to reinforce it. Pastor Van's going to give a couple practical points under each point. You ready to roll? Here we go. He says, add to your faith, goodness. Add to your faith, goodness. Our faith is our Christianity. He is writing to believers in Christ. He is writing to people who know Jesus. And he's saying, okay, that's not where it stops. Because here's how a lot of us are, right? It's like, I'm saved and I ain't going to hell. Got that down. All right, let's go fishing. Right? Listen, Christianity is not just about missing hell. That's a big part of it. That's my favorite part of it, getting to go to heaven. But I'm here for a reason, and I'm here to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and I'm here to to be light to a dying world. And my process of growing and conforming to the image of Christ is going to go on for eternity, and it's supposed to start right now. It's not supposed to wait till I get to heaven to start growing faster. I'm supposed to grow now. And so you got to get over that mindset that, all right, got my ticket to heaven in my back pocket, took care of that. Glad I did that. But now I got more important things than to be a Christian. Because I think a lot of guys, especially when I see men and talk to men, you're worried about this message a little bit because you think, man, I might have Pastor Van tell me I got to start growing as a Christian. And I don't want to be no sissy. I don't want to be like no Holy Joe. You don't have to be. 
Just be like Jesus. Just be godly in Christ. But Peter says now, add to your faith. You're born again. You have this great reality of your salvation. You are in Christ. Now you, the subject of the sentence, you add to your faith. And the first Christian virtue he gives us is goodness. Isn't that interesting? This word goodness means moral excellence. It means moral excellence. Let's turn to Ephesians and let the Apostle Paul reinforce it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, Jesus talked about this. This is, this is doing what is right because of the change that Christ has brought in my life. I no longer live as I used to live. I live a new way. How is that new way? That new way is good. It is righteous. I do the right things in my life. Okay, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter five, beginning with verse eight, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Actually, he doesn't say there you were in darkness. He said you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of the light. Okay, the evidence of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's even a shame to mention what the disobedient do in secret anymore. Things we used to laugh about, things we used to do. We don't do that anymore. We are now committed to moral excellence. A framework in my life whereby the decisions of my day-to-day life are based upon what is the right thing to do. A Christian man can't just be a a roll with the flow slob. You want to do it? Do that? Do it? No. We're always running through the grid of my mind. What is the right thing to do? What is good? What is good? What is excellent? This is reinforced throughout the New Testament. I'm thinking of the passage in Philippians four, where the Apostle Paul said, "Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are noble and right, think on these things." My thought processes change. My behavior changes. I can remember in, in high school, and some of you guys can relate to this, especially. And I had some great friends in high school, good guys, unsaved as a box of rocks, pagan guys. And you know, dogs bark and sinners sin. And these are good guys, but they were sinners. I was the pastor's son. I was in Christ. We'd hang around down at the hallway at the end of the hall on lunch break, leaning against the lockers down by the ag shop and, you know, kind of checking out the girls as they go by and talking about all hunting and pheasant hunting and, and, you know, how many bales of hay we could bale in a day and all kinds of things that redneck country boys in Michigan talked about. So, you know, I can remember always, it was so clear to me always in, in high school, the, the difference was so striking between me and the way I thought about the world and my buddies. And without even knowing it, I had been raised up in a home with a godly father who had taught us to admire the good and do what is right and be morally excellent. And I can remember having to simply stop talking sometimes because every word that I said, my buddies would laugh and twist and turn it into perversion, no matter what we talked about. And they would just take it, and maybe women don't understand this point as much as men do, but it was unbelievable. And they're good friends, and I was having a good time with them, and sometimes they were really funny, even though it was foul. But I can just remember thinking, they don't care about what is good. They don't care about moral excellence. As a Christian man, I need to be building into my life 
a lifestyle of doing what is right. I do what is right. Why? Because there is a such thing as the Christian lifestyle. And it is based on moral excellence. Pastor Van's practical points on this one. It sounds corny at first, but I'm telling you, it will test your lifestyle of doing things that are right. Bullet point number one, practical build into your life guy, is this. Practice good manners even when no one is watching. You say, wait, what's that got to do with anything? It's got to do with whether or not you like to do things right. Pull out the chair for your wife. Hold the door open for the lady. Give up your chair for the elderly gentleman. Put the grocery cart back. Pick up the trash off the ground. Stop being such a slob. If you're the last one out of bed, make the bed. Stop leaving toothpaste in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Yeah, especially the kitchen sink will get you. The bathroom sink. Pour your orange juice into a glass. Don't just drink out of the jug. Stop being a slob. Stop using improper... Stop belching and other things. Why? Why should I do that? It's funny. Well, it is, but it's not good. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying be perfect. I'm not saying don't laugh and carry on and do stupid stuff once in a while for fun. But as your children watch you, and if you want your wife to respect you, you are adding to your faith goodness, and goodness is moral excellence. And here's the deal. Why the little things matter? Because it's the little foxes that nip the vine. And if you're not living a characteristically good life, caring about things being done right and correctly in little areas, you're liable to let down your guard in big areas. You see, we're, we're self-contained, aren't we? we? We can't compartment on our lives. I'll live right over here, but over here I'm going to let down. That's the way the worldly man thinks. Second bullet point is guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. What do I mean by that? Stop talking trash. If you're a man who cusses, stop cussing. If you're a man who, who says things that are derogatory and tear down, knock it off. Why? Because I am adding to my faith goodness, moral excellence. I do things right. And so I want the words of my mouth to do as Jesus said, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I put that down on there to figure out whether you're adding goodness to your life. Remember, we're the subject. We're the ones that are efforting adding goodness through the power of the Holy Spirit who is in me. I can do this because the promise is there, the potential is there, and I can just do it. I now have the capacity to do these things as the Spirit of God teaches me. And I now am listening to my language because it will tell what's in my heart. And if I'm a trash talker, I know that goodness is not being added to my faith. You follow me? That's true. Practice good manners even when no one is watching. Clean up your mouth. The Apostle Paul reiterates that in Ephesians as well. We won't turn there. Well, let's move on. We have our faith in Christ and we're adding every day to our faith goodness. I am characteristically being careful to live a good life that would reflect the way Jesus lives. Wow. That means I've got to think. By the way, Christianity is a thinking religion. It's not a religion, but a thinking faith, isn't it? You've got to think. And that leads us to the next one, because I'm adding to my goodness knowledge. Knowledge. I'm supposed to know something as a Christian. This is knowledge of the truth. You see, we live in an absolute system. We don't live 
in a, in a morally selective system. We live where there are moral absolutes. We live where there is a God who has established what truth is. And truth doesn't change. That's why a book that was written over 2,000 years ago is fully applicable today because truth is a constant norm. And, and I don't try to fish around. You can go to um, Jeff's ethics class and talk about truth and reality and Christian ethics. But I live in a, in a system where, the, where there's a God of expectations. That's why he can chisel ten rules into stone on the side of a mountain and give it to a man who lived 4,000 years ago. And those ten rules still count for today in exactly the same way. Exactly. Why? Because there is absolute truth. And so God has given instruction. He cares how I live, and how has he done that? The psalmist said, it is your word that is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is your word that I'm hiding in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because there is a such thing as right and wrong. You don't get to choose. You don't get to make up your system. Your job is to unfold and to discover what God says is how you're supposed to live. And that's the truth. That's it. And that's called knowledge. It's called wisdom for living. And so I'm running through the grid of my mind as the head of my household. What, 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 what does God want me to do? I've got to make a purchase for a new car and I've got to do this. What are the biblical principles that I'm going to use here for good judgment? Am I using discernment? Who should I seek counsel from? What would God's word say to me? What is reality? As the leader of my home, I have to define reality. And so knowledge, it includes wisdom and discernment, and, and it's the ability to make right and God-honoring decisions. Look at chapter 5 of Ephesians. You're, you have it marked. Verses 15 through 17. Paul says the same thing. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what? What the Lord's will is. Listen to me. You cannot know the will of God apart from the word of God. That's the knowledge part of this system. And so my faith in Christ is established. Yes, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. The Bible is true. And, I, and because he's in me, my life is being transformed. And I am no longer a child of darkness. I'm a child of light. And so goodness is starting to flow out of my life. But I realize I, I must know something. I can't just do this on my own. And so I apply myself now to the layer of knowledge. And all my life, I'm adding goodness to my faith. And I'm, I'm realizing the need for more knowledge. And so I'm growing in knowledge so that I can make God-honoring decisions. Two points that you could do to practically apply this. Men, build it into your life to read the Proverbs for the day. I say this over and over. Every man at Fellowship Bible Church should be reading the Proverbs for the day. The women can too, but Proverbs particularly. And you young men, it's great to see a great group sitting over here. You young high school guys, junior high guys, read the Proverbs for the day. Get an NIV and read it out of an NIV or, or an English, the English, a modern English translation. It'll help you. You know how it works. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, right? Simple. There's a, usually 30 or 31 days to a month, I think. <laughs> Whatever day it is, read that Proverbs for the day. That way you don't have to, because oh, I know. Listen, I've been studying the Bible for a lot of years, and it's still a, a hard book to get sometimes. And you don't always know where to turn in here, how to tackle it. Well, 
Take away the decision-making process. Just look at the calendar. It's the 20th day of September, so I will read today Proverbs chapter. You got it. That's it. Okay, that's how it works. And if I miss it, tomorrow is what? 21. So what chapter do I read tomorrow? Chapter 21. Don't worry about chapter 20 once you miss it. Putting those things which are behind, I press on. Read chapter 21. Okay? Don't, don't beat yourself up. You're going to fail over and over. And though a righteous man fails seven times, he rises up again. Okay? That's the way you do it. Read the Proverbs for the day and it'll develop your Bible reading ability. I know that some of you guys find it very difficult to read the Bible. You will find Proverbs very helpful. I guarantee it. Second part of the bullet point builds on this, and it's even getting deeper, and and it is a more general phrase, and it is this. Build the study of God's Word into your life. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Man, I knew I wasn't going to like this message. For one thing, you make me feel a little bit guilty, and I knew somewhere in here I was going to have to start going to Sunday school. Yep, you got it. You got it. You know that Sunday school is not like just a carryover from the 1940s that people do? You know that Sunday school is here because Peter said, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and I need knowledge, and so I need teachers in my life. And so we in the framework of the church have set up structure, enough structure so that there are teachers represented in our lives. How would it change the, demo, the dynamic of your home for dad to be the one who gets up on Sunday morning and is chipper and happy and he wakes everybody up and says, come on, we've got to go to Sunday school and church. Change the atmosphere of your home. Change the culture of your home, dad. You're the one who can do that. You be out there looking at the, at the Word of Life Olympian books on Wednesday night and look at those cool books and say, I want my kids to be involved in Olympians. And and there's some memory verses here and some Bible time for my kid, and it's simple. Oh, it's going to cost 17 bucks. Well, we can't afford it. Well, yes, you can. Just do it. Put your money where your mouth is. Get there, buy it, open the book, and be the leader. Work on your memory verses. I don't like to do that stuff. So learn to like it. It's good. It's simple. It's cool stuff. Those are the kinds of things that you have to build into your life. There's ladies' classes and men's classes and other opportunities as well. And I think you're seeing that information presented regularly. Some of you guys are like me and you have a radio in your garage or you like to listen to the radio when you're you're changing the oil or something. You know that sometimes I purposely time what I'm going to do to 7 o'clock so that I can listen to James McDonald at 7 o'clock Monday through Friday night because James McDonald just... He just slaps me upside the head with God's word every which way. He's such a good preacher, isn't he? Such a good communicator. You know, if you listen to Christian radio, he's the one that has that walk, walk, walk in the word, walk in the word. That's how their music goes, sort of. Build this stuff into your life. You got to think. You got to do it. You can do it. Thirdly, add to your knowledge now self-control, because here's what's happening. Okay, I'm adding to my faith goodness. All right, I'm putting the grocery cart back, and I have a smile on my face, and I say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And I'm, and I'm not being growly with people, even at Sheets, when they're buying lotto tickets, and I just want to leave my $20 bill, and I have goodness flowing out of me through the power of Christ. <laughs> And I'm learning. I'm in the Word. I'm listening to Pastor Van's messages. And I'm going to Sunday school now. And, and during the evening, I, I get, the, get my book out with my kid. And I'm looking at the Olympians Bible verse. And 
I'm learning every once in a while. And I listen to James McDonald and, and focus on the family. And the Word of God is starting to roll in my brain a little bit. And I'm, I'm starting to think like a Christian. I'm starting to shift my worldview to, to saying, okay, God, what pleases you? What, what in my life needs to change? And, and you know, I'm, I'm just trying to work and let this process go. And now I'm realizing something. This isn't going to happen if I don't have self-control. That's what Peter's talking about next. Add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge. And the more you know, the more you know you want to know. And the more you know you need to know. And the more you know, you realize, I've got to do changes. I've got to shift. I've got to grow. And it's self-control. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, why don't you turn there with me quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's an interesting concept here. It's a very familiar verse. Verse 7. I wanted to show you this verse because... This is something that Paul reinforced over and over again in his teaching. He's teaching young Timothy and he says in verse 7, have nothing, 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with godless godless myths and old wives' tales. we, We deal in the truth around here. We don't pay attention to nonsense. And train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. I've got to grow in godliness. That's one of the points that... Peter's going to bring up here a minute, but I wanted to emphasize to you and show you that word to train yourself and physical training. You know what the word there is in the Greek? That w- the English word that we get out of that Greek word that is translated train is a word that, that we get our, our English word gymnasium from. Gymnasium. What do you mean? The workout center. When it comes to godliness and self-control, I have to work at it. Man, if you've ever done any kind of physical training at the gym, you know that it takes self-control. Some months ago, my good friend Lonnie Puller is in the community here. He doesn't attend our church. He's a fine Christian brother at Wainwright Baptist, and he's with Frontier Phone Company, so he's flexible schedule. And he started lifting weights over at Anytime Fitness at noontime during the week, and Pastor Van, come on over, come on over. And he he shamed me into working out with him. And I finally realized I needed to. And old age is creeping in. And so for much of the summer now, several months now, I've been working out. It doesn't show that much, but I feel a lot better. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes we don't connect up. Our schedules don't work. And so I'll go over and work out on my own. And, you know, the last lift in our routine that we go through, we go three times through this, a bunch of things. The last thing that we do is called leg presses. It's this machine where you lay down and there's this platform and you put weights on it and you take your legs and you push it up into the air, this, this heavy weight. And they hurt, man. It's hard. And Lonnie always wants to put heavy weights on. He's stronger than I am. He's always pushing me. And so, you know what happens a lot when I'm by myself the third time around? The last lift? Oh, I think I better get home to my family. In fact, if I leave right now, I'll have time to whip across to McDonald's and get three chocolate chip cookies and a small coffee. And I'll skip my leg presses today. You know, I don't think I have to illustrate too much. This thing of self-control is, we all know what that's all about, don't we? Denying ourselves the things that we ought not have and making ourselves do the things that are right, even when the old flesh is crying out, right? I mean, that's just where we live in this affluent culture where we have so much available to us, sweets 
and, and the easy life. And I, I still sit around and meditate on why ice cream is bad for you and broccoli is good for you. I don't understand that. Why can't ice cream be good for you and broccoli bad for you? Wouldn't that make life a lot better? No, you know, the nature, the nature of reality in our fallen, corrupt world is that the things that are good and right are often the most difficult things, aren't they? And Peter says, listen to me, if you're going to grow, you've got to add to your faith goodness. Let the goodness of Christ be seen in you. And you be growing in knowledge so that you know how to be good. But the more you know, the more you're going to realize you have to say no to the old ways and you have to say yes to the new ways and you've got to enter into self-control. Add to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control. What's a couple things I can do to test myself in this area and to build myself in this area? First, I can stop watching TV without a plan. Shut the TV off, guys. Oh, that's when I chill out. I know. But what you do is you become a lazy slob because of television. And nobody loves to watch Fox News and football games and all that more than I do. I love to do that. In fact, I cannot have cable because of that. It's too hard to self-control it. Plan which game you're going to watch. What do you mean, one game? There's like 13 of them. I got the NFL channel. I'll lose money. Lose money. Learn self-control. You would amaze your wife if you quit watching so much TV. You know that? Throw the clicker to your wife. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> Honey, you have the clicker tonight. She'll click it off. She'll want to talk. That takes self-control. Listen, we're wasting our lives, some of us, just being slobs, just being undisciplined. The second thing relates to what I already said, and that is to exercise. I have found in my own experience through the years that when I physically am disciplined, it is a lot easier for me to be spiritually disciplined. And when I'm undisciplined physically, I'm undisciplined spiritually. That, you know, we're a total package. We're a whole person, and it all goes hand in hand. And I would challenge you to begin to exercise physically if you want to grow spiritually. It, it, will, it will force you to think about your life. That's what it do. We need to click off the others quickly. You can look up the Ephesian verses on your own. He says, now add to your self-control perseverance. Eugene Peterson says in the message, perseverance is a long obedience in the same direction. Now Peter is saying to me, and Paul reinforces it, it's the teachings of Christ as well. It's the reality of my Christian faith. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness add knowledge, and to knowledge add self-control but now, don't give up. And he says it in here. Keep doing this. Work out your own salvation. Prove your election is sure. What does that mean? Over the long haul, there's no question that Christ is in me because I persevere. I show that this stuff is real to me. I'm not a flash in the pan. Perseverance. Perseverance is to keep on doing right even when I don't feel like it. Perseverance is what will characterize my life with certain habits. It's like, there's guys here and ladies here, and I can say, you know, you know where Mark Zilke is at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night? He's in prayer meeting. That's where he is. I know his schedule. Why? Because he perseveres. Think there's times when a self-employed businessman with a growing family could stay at home at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night? Of course. 
But he perseveres. I'm not trying to guilt people into Wednesday night. Wednesday night would be a great thing to build into your life of discipline. My point is persevering to where people, when they think of you, they know what you do because you persevere. He's not unpredictable. He's predictable. That sounds boring. No, it's not. It's the kind of qualities that people admire and that young men want to be when they look at old men. Add to your self-control perseverance. Two practical points on this quickly. I think that perseverance is very difficult to do on your own. And let's just reflect back on the illustration at the gym at Anytime Fitness that I used of skipping the last lift. When Lonnie's there, we don't skip lifts. We add lifts because we're competitive. Accountability. We shame each other. You can't do that. You ain't walking out of here right now, boy. Get back over here and sit down. Get on that press. Push, push. Come on, man. Don't give up. What's that? That's accountability, isn't it? So the practical point is I think that if you're going to persevere in your Christian life, you've got to get something straight. Christianity was never meant to be lived in isolation. You are meant to be with other Christians, and this is part of it. You will, you will persevere with the group. You need people around you who know when you're on a downward slide, who will look at you and say, get it together, man, come on. Commit to an accountability partner. That's where that, like the Wednesday night or Saturday morning men's group or ladies group will help you connect with relationships to where you can can build those kind of guys into your life. Something else that I wrote down that I think is probably a little bit female, but I'm going to say it anyway, is to sit down. I'm thinking about even doing this myself. See, when I preach it, I think I've done it. We, We fool ourselves, don't we? Write yourself a letter this week about what kind of Christian man you're going to be this year. Fold it up, seal it, put it in an envelope, and put it somewhere that a year from now you will open that letter and read it and see if you have persevered in those things. See, test yourself a little bit. Let's fill in the rest of the blanks and then we'll go home. Add to your perseverance godliness. This is becoming like Christ. My points would be to begin to memorize Scripture. Colossians 3.1 and the rest of chapter 3 of Colossians. Memorize Scripture. You say, Pastor Van, you're going from bad to worse. Man, I can't memorize that stuff. Yes, you can. You can rattle off guys' names in the NFL. You know your fantasy football guys. You know their phone number. You know your Social Security. Yeah, but that's all. Well, then learn one verse this year. All right? Just don't tell me you can't memorize. You can. What's the point? The point is it is through the renewing of the mind that I become a godly man in Christ Jesus. And so I've got to get Scripture in my mind. The second thing I put on there might seem a little bit like a personal axe that I grind, but I really believe it is the downfall of a lot of men and godliness. And I put down on there, under number four, self-control, perseverance, commit to, uh, excuse me, under godliness, number five, memorize Scripture, and then stop attending Bad movies. And by bad movies, I have found that I can't go to a PG-13 movie or above. The PG-13 movies that I have been reviewing and we check online because we go on a, on a date or something, we're going to go out to eat and go to a movie, you can't go to it. Because of the 
nature of the, com- of the conversation or the nature of the picture shown, and I know all about storytelling and all that kind of stuff and literature and everything, what I'm saying is a lot of guys fill their mind with this stuff and you'll be amazed at the number of Christian men who all the movies they go to and the movies they rent throughout the year and their mind is filled with the images. And, and that's powerful stuff. All kinds of things along with your television viewing. You cannot be godly in Christ Jesus and then fill your life with that stuff. Number six, brotherly kindness. Just uh, build kind words and kind deeds into your life. And then ultimately, number seven, add to your brotherly kindness love. That's ultimately the new command, isn't it? And you can look up those verses. The product is great. You know, I've said this before. And I'll say, I say it in the counseling room a lot, at, at the counseling study. It's funny how we're hardwired, isn't it, men? That, and we want our wives to say we love you. But more than anything, don't we, don't we long to hear our wife say or feel or know, Honey, I respect you. A man loves respect, doesn't he? That's why he'll fight for it on a basketball court. Listen, you want your wife and your kids to respect you? You can't be a spiritual slob, okay? You cannot be spiritually lazy. You want Christ to work in your life? You want to see the hand of God upon your life and in your home? It's not magic. It's a lifestyle of growing in grace that Peter taught, that Paul taught, that Jesus taught, that's the reality of our Christian faith. It's time for some of us to stop making excuses, isn't it? Go to battle here. That we begin to lead ourselves so that we can lead our families and ultimately lead the church, impact the community and the world for Christ. Well, Adam glitched and Abram glitched. About the only person I can think of in Scripture who didn't glitch is Joseph and Daniel. Those two, weren't they great examples to us? If you've glitched, put it behind you. Get up and let's go. Let's be the men that God has called us to be. Let's know the joy of obedience, right? Let's know it and live it. Father, we humble our hearts now in closing. Thankful for your grace and your patience with us. Some of us have been in Christ for a long time and it doesn't show. So forgive us for that, Lord. Father, may Jesus Christ begin to be seen in us in a way that has maybe never been seen before. Father, stir our hearts and our minds. Give us a tenacity and an a determination to grow now. To effort these things in our lives. Recognizing that the reward is great. Will you bless our men, Lord? There's so much upon us and so much busyness and demand and stress and temptation. So help us to think carefully and wisely. Help us to learn how to lead ourselves so that we then can lead our homes. It's in Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen.